Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Beyond the Ball podcast, back for another BTB episode. Coach Klump, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing very, very well. Uh, how about all the great karma that has came from our past guests? Man, it is exciting. We've had some really good guests. I'm, I'm really pumped up for the show tonight. Yeah. So, what about this karma? What do we? What, what reference are you referring to? Well, did you see Del Reed's hashtag? Yeah, I did. Absolutely. I knew that's where you were going with that. Yeah, I, man. I hit him on Twitter too because I'm like, karma. It's been good, Coach Hogs. Yeah. Uh, Coach. A lot of coaches, and then now Del Reed getting his, the official nod from the Buffalo Bills. Which, if you're in social media, that's that's a pretty big deal. I don't know if that. I don't know how much that really impacts him. I'm sure it does a little bit on the, you know, the financial side of 26 shirts, but yeah, yeah right. such, such good stuff. Such good stuff. Hashtag so Bills good. Mafia with um, a little logo on the yeah, side. Yeah, so how, yeah, I, I'm so ready. I mean, we're taping this, you know, early September, and I am just so ready for this football season to get here. Um, starting, you know, getting back in our classrooms a little bit here in New York, getting ready for the kids to come in. It's been all Bills gear during these virtual days because I don't have to, you know, be formal. So it's Mm -hmm. been Bills hats, Bills t-shirts, Bills pullovers. It's been Bills all the time. So I'm ready for the season to start for sure. Yeah, in our area, we're just going to have to uh, rely on, in our area, you know, we're going to have to rely on the Buffalo Bills. Uh, We just got the announcement uh, today that, we will be pushing back um, the high-risk sports like volleyball, competitive cheer, and football back to March. That was a much speculation. Um, we weren't really getting a, uh, a lot of answers. So, um, you know, most of the football coaches that you've talked to around Western New York, they were still wondering what when they were going to be able to get back on the field. And it looks like right now it's not going to be until March. Yeah, and I, I just feel like we're left with even more unanswered questions um, because we're basketball coaches as well. Yeah. And so it's really easy to draw comparisons to sports like volleyball or football. And and you just now we wonder what what's going to happen with our seasons. And so pretty, uh, pretty stressful time, at least in terms of athletics, but also stressful because we're actually getting some kids back in our classroom. How how are you doing with that mentally? Yeah, you know, in this house, both my girlfriend and I are teachers, and it's been a lot of uncertainty. Uh, our, our The rest of the NTA, our teachers' unions, they've, they've been really 
um, coming together, helping each other out, um, department meetings, working on things. Like I, I celebrate Jackie, my girlfriend. She's a living environment teacher and she's, she's helped out so much because she is like a Google whiz. And uh, most of my questions yeah. um, go to her when she helps me do these docs nice. and forms and stuff. But um, yeah, that was going to be my celebration also. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to transition into it, and I hope I don't take yours. I'm I'm going to transition into this celebration for the students going back, you know. And uh, I want you guys to all to know to to just be you, um, love yourself. Um, your self-esteem should be your favorite outfit that you wear every day and wear it with as much pride as possible. Be your best and remember it. how you do anything is how you'll do everything. What a great celebration. We were just having this conversation with my daughter who's starting uh, her first day of high school is tomorrow. And she is trying to put together her outfit and yeah. worrying about how things I remember those days. And what her, yeah, and how what her hair is going to look like and does she have all of her supplies because she, she wants to do it right. She's got mm -hmm. a high standard for herself. And uh, it's going to be very interesting as a father trying to continue to build her confidence. And I think she has a pretty solid foundation in her faith and her family that, you know, just being herself is is more than enough. And as long as she's doing her best, she's going to get it figured out. So, Amen. yeah, celebrating these kids, especially the kids, you know, like we just talked about with the sports that. Yeah are kind of relying on that for an outlet and now they're going to have to just uh, get their mindset fixed and, you know, try to grind through it. My celebration is similar. And I know we've celebrated these teachers, you know, in every state specifically for us, it's Western New York, but it, we were just talking earlier before we started recording about, you know, some of these veteran teachers that, you know, and, and we're probably closer to the veteran teacher than the new teacher, right? It's a tough realization right there. Yeah, 18 it's a years hard in. One to, Whoa, 18, 19 years in. It's a hard one to swallow, you know, but yeah. I think what I, I want to just celebrate is the veteran teacher and the new teachers for for being very good at this new technology and just coming in and knocking it out. But more specifically, all these veteran teachers that are willing to put in the time and even if they don't know how to do it, you know, when they do get frustrated, they just keep plugging away at it. And we've had a lot of that over the last couple of days of just teachers down on their, themselves because they don't feel like they're they're getting the job done, like they're not doing a good enough mm -hmm. job for their students. And um, the and message I've the been best. trying to, they just want the best, absolutely. Yeah. And I've just been trying to preach to them you know, you have to show yourself some grace. You know, these kids are coming in and they're scared and they don't know what they're doing. And there's no reason to think that teachers are going to know everything. And I just think it'll help you connect more with the kids to just be honest and upfront with them that, you know, this is new and we're all figuring it out. And if we make a mistake, show them a little bit of grace, just like, you know, yeah. they, they need from you. So work show on that communication. Grace. Yeah, absolutely. Work on those so relationships. Good, right? You know, they're not going to remember how much you know. They're always going to remember how much you care and how, that you were there from that you were asking questions about, you know, what they were doing over their break and that you're happy to see them when they come through the door. So, sure. I mean, 100%. And I think you nailed it with the communication. Like, I have my son in my room this year, which is a cool experience. Uh, but I came home yesterday and I'm like, did you get your, did you get your homework done? And he was like, yeah, I got it done. And I knew that he didn't. So mm -hmm. I just, you know, in a jokingly way said, yeah, I, I don't think so. 
And he goes, well, I didn't understand it. I like, I was confused. And so we talked it out, but then I realized in that moment, my son, who's pretty with it technologically, still didn't understand my direction. So obviously, right, as a coach, as a teacher, as a parent, if you're not communicating clearly, if the message is not received, then you didn't teach it, you didn't explain it well enough. Yeah. And so that was a big realization for me to, to you know, I'm going to constantly have to be refining my communication and just making sure we're on point. So. Keep it simple. Uh, yeah, pretty trying to keep it as simple as we can and be very clear in what our expectations are. So, yeah, a lot of celebrations around the school community right now. And uh, with the, that loss of sports today, uh, just trying to keep my focus, you know, in a positive direction. So doing a little Bible reading today. Did you have a Bible verse for us yeah, tonight? Yeah, and, and what we were just talking about was it was a really good transition. And that's what's been on my heart, Peter 2, um, 9. You are a chosen people. You are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You know, um, what an impact. And you think about the all of this unclarity that we are walking through, heading into these doors tomorrow, or if you've been uh, moving into you know your your hallways as a teacher, but but God promises that He has all of these days firmly in control, and that's such a great promise to cling on. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you have that right mindset that a little bit of that anxiousness, that anxiety goes away. I mean, it's a battle though, because, you know, you can think that, right? And you want to believe that and have that yeah. commitment to the faith, but that doesn't mean that your your habits allow that to happen. I found myself over the last week, you know, doing all those negative things that I do when I get nervous about something. And my wife can tell, you know, my mood is off, eating habits are off, your exercise habits are off, all because you're anxious mm -hmm. about something you really can't control. And you really got to make a, a mental decision to to lock in on those things. So yeah, such a good verse. I, You know what, I'm going to transition that to our guest tonight, who does a great job controlling what he can control. Uh, our guest tonight is Scott Donaldson, who is a Western New York native, um, but is doing some coaching. 716, we're going to try and keep that connection going. And he's coaching at some football, actually. We're going to go into the football scene a little bit again tonight. And Division Three Heidelberg, um, I'm going to let Coach Donaldson fill us in, in a little bit when we get back. But I'm really excited to see how he's using the game and how he's kind of navigating these rough waters. So we'll, uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll have Coach Donaldson. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball with Justin Gerstung and Eric Klump on the Hoopheads Pod Network. Our roster of shows includes Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court with Joseph Harris, and our latest release, Bleachers and Boards. If you're an NBA fan, be sure to catch one of our new team-focused shows, Cavalier Central with Justin Matcham, Nuck If You Buck with Devin Zanskis, a 305 Culture Miami Heat podcast, and Grizz and Grind with Elijah Campbell. We'll be adding more NBA markets in the weeks and months ahead, so keep up with our latest updates on Twitter, at HoopHeadsPod. I'd love for you to check out our flagship, the HoopHeads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel. 
the go-to podcast for basketball coaches at any level. Now let's get back to Justin and Eric. All right, welcome back to the Beyond the Ball podcast. We are joined by the head coach of Heidelberg, uh, Scott Downson. Coach, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Coach Clumpy, why don't you get us started? All right. So, Scott, uh, from what we have learned, you're a fellow 716er. We've had a lot of local individuals. So tell us how you ended up in Ohio. Um, you know, it's- you know, it could be a long story, but they gave me a job. Um, you know, I, I, I went to Brockport, you know, from Tonawanda, and uh, did a little half a victory lap there to finish out my degree. And I was working construction, you know, building houses, putting up pools. And I knew I wanted to get into coaching, um, and it started to apply everywhere. I mean, there's a couple of websites out there you look at, and I put my application and my resume, which was basically nothing, um, everywhere I, I possibly had an open job and actually got a call back. Randomly, the defensive coordinator at Heidelberg at the time, back in 2004, was a Lockport guy. Um, his brother is actually uh, um, Va- Coach Vosberg at St. John Fisher. Um, so they had a little name recognition there and um, got the interview, bombed the interview, but they still somehow gave me the job and um, ended up staying this long. So <laughs> I love yeah. the honesty. Yeah. Well, yeah. A little bit of humility there, probably. I'm sure you didn't bomb it too bad. So I think we've talked to some other coaches, you know, and I think what always intrigues me about that conversation is, you know, we hear the stories of, you know, coaches kind of falling into jobs. Was that a, was that a big decision for you to move to Ohio? You know, it, it was. It was. Uh, I come from a pretty big family, um, you know, and it, I, I have 27 first cousins on my mom's side, and I'm one of two to actually leave 716 area code. And so yeah. um, it was a tough decision. My dad was sick at the time also. So, um, but the biggest thing, my, my parents wanted me to continue my education because obviously it was a graduate assistant job. So I wanted me to get my master's. Um, and wanted me to live my dreams. And so they really pushed me to get out here. Um, and it was a rough transition. It really was. Um, it, so, but, it, you know, I don't regret it, obviously. Um, but, no, it was, uh, it, it was a tough decision for a while. But, um, again, they were the only ones to give me a job. So I didn't really have much to <laughs> compare it to. Right. right. So, so it obviously worked out. Yeah, I know you have a big family. For our listeners, um, my wife and you were, were friends growing up. Is that right? Uh, neighbors, best friends. I mean, yeah, until till you stole my way over in Akron. I uh, was in seventh grade there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She moved out to, to our neck of the woods, but you guys always remain close. So I know that your family's huge. So I, I get that, you know, moving moving away from family's tough. I'm, I mean, I'm still in Akron too, where I started. So do, is that when you made that move? Uh, and got down there did it take long to acclimate like what were some of the first things you did to kind of get yourself ingrained in that situation well it, 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 it took a long time to acclimate you know and, and i think going from a a player to a coach that's a that's a rough transition i, I don't think many people realize how rough it is uh, you know even being a college football player going into a coaching college it, it's a tough transition just because you still think as a player and, and thinking as a player, thinking as a coach is a completely different mindset. 
Um, and it, it, it takes years. I'll be honest. My first two years were very rough, very rough. Um, and it took me a long and I had great, great guys teaching me, um, Brian Cochran and Tom Kaufman and Mike Vosberg. And these guys really, um, did a great, great job teaching me how to acclimate to it. But, um, it was a rough transition. <laughs> yeah. No question. It's yeah. so important to have those mentors. I remember, um, our varsity football coach asked me to help him out watching um, certain positions for them as the game was going on, and I just kept, I just kept my finding myself watching the play every time, just watching the ball. <laughs> How it took me so long to get used to that, but I definitely had a, it was a great impact when he sat me down and he mentored me uh, and and taught me what to actually look for. So. What, well, who are some of the mentors that really helped you out in this transition? Well, the first couple of years, you know, Brian Cochran um, was the head coach here, um, hired me, and um, he, he's the D-line coach at Akron now. Um, and Mike Vosberg was the defensive coordinator. We were a very young staff. I mean, there was only three full-time, and then the rest were GAs. So we had like five GAs, um, which, you know, are the, are the young coaches that don't get paid anything. So, you know, other than – a lot of that, obviously, you're getting mentored, and, and these guys are teaching you what to do and what not to do. But a lot of that comes from the guys you're with, too. You know, the guys you're in this with, very rarely are you going to be a young coach and the only young coach on the staff, you know, that doesn't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> All right. Um, there's going to be someone else there that doesn't know what the heck they're doing either. Okay. Um, so a lot of guys that we really learned together how to do things. Um, but really, Brian Cocker was unbelievable to me. Um, you know, obviously gave me my first job, gave me my first promotion into a full-time job after I GA'd, um, really was patient with me because I, guys, I was horrible. I mean, <laughs> I was, I was horrible my first year as a GA. I don't know how they kept me or why they kept me. Um, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't set up a drill. I kept forgetting the scout cards. Um, you know, making calls for recruiting was terrible. So, um, they really the patience of these guys that, uh, let me work through my, you know, my acclimation period. Just my acclimation was a couple years long. I just wanted to ask, like, how long until you, you really felt comfortable in this position? A full year. Um, I, I, that first, first season was a blur. I mean, it was an absolute blur. I, I was running around with a chicken with my head cut off. I was literally just trying to keep my head above water. Um, and honestly, your first year coaching, that's about all you can do. Um, just try to just try to stay one day ahead of the kids on install. Just try to keep your head above water. Um, it took me a full year. Um, once that, that second year hit, I started being a little more comfortable in my own skin, being a little comfortable with what I'm doing, um, and everything got better from there. Things started slowing down. Um, you know, and that's again. It, but it, it took me an entire year to figure out what the heck I was doing with my life. <laughs> yeah, Scott. So you, I, and I appreciate that because I think a lot of coaches go through that that uneasiness, like they don't really have confidence in what they're doing. But you seemed, as I'm looking through your bio, like you've elevated fairly quickly, and you were a head coach at a very young age, relatively speaking. So, like, is your staff still young? Or do you have some veterans on there? Well, um, we're not as young as we feel, or I'm not as young as I feel anymore. But my trajectory was very different, but we're, we're very blessed to have the, the core of the staff, myself and my two coordinators. Um, we've been together forever. My defensive coordinator, he was a student coach with me my second year in Heidelberg. I mean, we've been together 15 years. 
Um, the, the offensive coordinator, uh, Jason Lewis, uh, we, he's going on his 12th year with us. Um, you know, so the core of the staff has been here forever. Where our, our staff is structured, we have, counting myself, six full-time and then four GAs. So we're always going to have those young guys coming in and out of our program. So it's it brings a lot of good young blood, a lot of great ideas. and um, But now we still think we're young sometimes. Yeah, so I was just wondering, so do you, what are some advantages – to that, I mean, you guys have obviously been together for the most part. You're a young staff. Is it where the where the advantages lie in there for you? Is like does that help with recruiting or? It helps in every aspect of a football program, any any program. You get the continuity um, where you can sustain the staff. Um, and again, it's not just the head coach. Can you sustain the staff? Um, it's unbelievable for every aspect of the program. Um, number one, with all alumni relations, I mean, we just had a last August or, or last month, we, we just had a golf outing and 36 teams showed up and pretty much every one of the 36 teams played for us at some point, played for me personally at some point, you know. Um, it, so just keeping the alumni involved, whether it's getting them over to talk to the guys and then recruiting, Anytime you can keep continuity in recruiting is huge because um, you get to know the coaches. You know, like uh, Jason Lewis is from Toledo, so he recruits the Toledo area. He knows the coaches. He knows the area. Um, it, it just go. It, it saves so much time um, when you know the coaches. You don't have to find out who's who and, and everything like that. So there, there, there's a lot to that. And um, but I will say, having a great assistant assistant coaches is is easily the best thing I've ever done as head coach. Probably the only good thing I've ever done as a head coach is being able to keep these guys and keep them motivated and keep them happy and keep them here. You talk about that um, continuity, the consistency with the coaching staff. We always like to ask these questions on the podcast. Now, we call them the non-negotiables. Now, you're just talking about recruiting. When you are going out to recruit some, some individuals to bring them into your program, what are your non-negotiables? What are you looking for in a football player? Um, that, well, I'll tell you the process first. You know what I mean? We're, we're going to get a lot of names, and obviously Division three have to cast a wide net. Um, and we don't just recruit Ohio and Michigan. We, we recruit pretty nationally. So, um, honestly, the first thing we're going to look at is film. All right? Can this young man play for us? All right? Can he help us? Um, the, Again, I'm not trying to – the OEC, our conference is different. I need a different level of talent to win at. And if that kid, kid can't fit that talent, he's not going to have a good experience here. Um, it's not fair for me to recruit someone that can't play. Um, so once that happens, okay, the kid can play, fantastic. All right, now we're going to talk to his coach. What type of character is he? All right, well, what, you know, is, is he a captain? What, what type of man is he? Um, and I think that's the biggest part of our recruiting. I – I take recruiting very seriously. Uh, you're not, these kids aren't just joining our team. It, this is a family, and i got to make sure you have character to join the family. So um, if you get a good recommendation from your coach, okay, that, that's great. And then we'll get you on campus, and then, you know, the, the obviously the academic stuff starts and, and things like that. But a lot of that has to be out of our hands with admissions, kind of kids get into school and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, the, the biggest thing is going to be the character question. And going back to the continuity when you have recruiting recruiting coaches in those areas, they get to know the coaches well, and coaches are going to be a hell of a lot honest, hell of a lot more honest with you when you know them well. 
Yeah, you talk. Yeah, I, think, I mean, you must have said character six or seven times. And uh, do you think that's a big misconception with a lot of high school players? You know, maybe like they are obviously you're recruiting them because they are very successful. They're probably the star of their team. And do you think that's a misconception just because they can really ball that they'll be able to land anywhere on their feet? Um, I, I, I hate to say it, but I don't think it's a misconception. Um, there, there's other programs that'll take them. I promise you that. Um, you know, that's not the program I want to build here and that we've built here. Um, but I, I can promise you if the kid can ball, someone will take him. And I hate to say it like that. Um, obviously, you don't want to tell high school kids that, but it's it's just, it's the God's honest truth. You know, if a kid's good enough to help a college win games, he's going to get recruited. They're going to overlook some things and take a blind eye to things. Now, we don't choose to do that at Heidelberg, um, but that's not saying that's not everyone's philosophy. So, Scott, you mentioned you like that family aspect and you're building a program where you have high-character kids. What are some of the things that you're doing that makes it like a family for them? You know, you just mentioned that golf tournament and all these kids are coming back as, you know, young men and want to participate. What do you think you guys do at Heidelberg that really stresses that? Um, well, there, there, there's a couple of little things. I think number one, obviously, is recruiting the right type of people, you know. But, um, you know, there, there's some little things we do. There's some bigger things we do. We have a champion's plan. Um, it's a four-tiered, I guess, character education plan that we do with the guys, um, meeting every other week with them. Um, you know, that, that's a longer conversation. We want to get into that. Um, a lot of it is making sure the guys are together as much as possible. Um, when you're looking at a, a roster, we have about 150 kids on our roster. You know, these kids aren't going to be able to all hang out together other than practice. So, you know, in the off season, we'll go on Friday nights, just get the gym and have a three on three tournament, um, have a dodgeball tournament. You know what I mean? Whatever we can do. Um, I think we're doing a kickball tournament here in the next couple of weeks. If I'm allowed, obviously masks on. Okay. Um, <laughs> so it's, 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 Number one, it's recruiting the right type of people that have high character because the other people that have high character are going to gravitate towards them. Um, but it's also about teaching them what this culture should be, okay? What this uh, – being accountable not only to yourself now and being accountable to a program, to a team and a staff and one another um, is going to be more important than anything. So it's, it's not one big thing. It's going to be a million little things that build a culture. Now you're talking, uh, yeah. We talk about that word culture all the time. Um, can you explain to us, like, do you believe it's more of the players, or is it more of the coaches that are, are going to build that culture for those four years that they're there? Or in, in your situation, you've had some longevity. So, do you believe it's your, you and your staff? Um, I, obviously, it's a mix of both, but I think it needs to start from the top. I mean, it, it, it starts from, you know, my office and, you know, goes down from there. You know, I need to be seen doing the right things. I can't ask my kids to yeah. make smart decisions on Friday nights and go get a DUI. You know, if, um, I, I, I can't be doing that. And not that my kids think I'm a saint. I'm sure as hell not a saint. Um, but uh, there's a lot of accountability there um, from the entire staff that has to trickle down. Um, but obviously, when it, when it comes down to it, it's the players. But more importantly, are the players buying in to your vision? I, I think as a coach, it's our jobs to set the vision that drives the culture. Okay, we need to set the vision. The kids need to understand the vision. We need to communicate it effectively. 
and then it's, it takes on a life of its own once it gets rolling. Um, but so I think it starts up top and then it finishes the most important part of it. Do the players buy into it? Are they motivated to have a, a great culture and a caring culture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I love the idea of a million little things. Uh, it is so good. It's so good. I think, uh, so Scotty, we, I have said, we have said that we know each other going back a little bit. So what's, what's this, you know, ascension for you from being a grad assistant to an assistant to now the head coach, what, what has this done? Like in your personal life, we talked to a bunch of coaches, um, you know, and have talked about, you know, the idea of striking a balance is always something that comes up. And one coach even said, it's not really a balance. It's more of a rhythm. You got to have a positive or a sound rhythm with, with your outside world. What's that been like for you as you've kind of climbed in your career? Um, it's, it's ever evolving. You know, um, I, I don't know if there'll ever be balance. Um, I don't know anyone that, that, you know, can coach a sport and put everything into a sport and put everything into a program and can have pure balance. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, one of the things I learned, you know, from a lot of people and, and seeing a lot of coming coaches come and go and how they deal with their families and um, is, you know, you, you have to make sacrifices, obviously. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of college coaches get, get into some bad, bad habits and bad rhythms, I guess, um, with just the outside stuff. You know what I mean? Like I said, I got a lot of young guys on my staff. Okay, they can go out and have fun. They don't have two kids and a wife at home. Um, so I think it's it, for me, it was very simply, you know, making sure I'm home when I can be home. And I know that doesn't, it sounds very simple, but for me, it wasn't. I was, my, my 20s were uh, an absolute debacle. I'll be straight up honest with you. Um, just personally, um, professionally, we were doing pretty well, but my, my personal life was a crap show probably because of the decisions I was making. So, and I really think it wasn't until really my son was born, uh, until Connor was born and he's 10 now that I really sat down and looked myself in the mirror and said, listen, get your butt home. (laughs) Why why are you still in the bar? All right. You're in the bar talking to the guys you just hung out with for 12 hours in the office. (laughs) Get your butt home. Okay. and, And try to have that balance. And that's all I can do. You know what I mean? Is when I'm out of this office, which really isn't very much, and I wish it was more, but um, do what I can to, to be around my kids, be around my family, um, making sure uh, my wife knows she's loved and supported in any way. But when it comes to during season, you know, if this was a normal season right now, I'd, I'd still be in the office breaking down film or going over practice and stuff like that. Um, so during season, there's really no balance. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's the truth, right? Like coaches, wives or girlfriends, yeah. they, they are saints to put up, you know, even at the high school level, you know, my wife thinks I'm nuts with how much work I put in, but when it's your passion, it's just what you do and you don't really, you can get lost in it, you know? So get lost in it. for us, it doesn't stop there because, you know, the recruiting cycle is, is even worse than in season. Oh, yeah. You know, with us recruiting out of state, you know, two weeks in February, I'm going to Florida. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a sacrifice on my part, obviously, to go to Miami for two weeks in February. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just. <laughs> I like how he threw that in there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to throw that in there. But no, 
Um, you know, every night, you know, my, my kids go to bed, I'm going to be on the phones, you know, till 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, every yeah. single night of the week. It's just, um, so again, it's when you can be available, be available, be present and try to be present as much as possible, whatever your schedule will allow. But, um, I've tried to clean up my act a little bit. I'm, I'm still not, still not the same level, but I'm, I'm trying. All right. I'm getting there. <laughs> We're all a work in progress, I yeah. think. <laughs> and Scott, thanks for sharing that because, you know, a lot of this pod is just all about growth spiritually, personally, socially to create that wellness. And, um, you know, what I got from that conversation is you, like like you said, sitting down, having a, the conversation with yourself, like it, it's time to go. I, I got I to gotta go after my passions. I got to go after my purpose. And, and now is the time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's exactly what it was. So Coach Coach Gerson and I, we, we share a lot of information back and forth about like how to grow as basketball coaches. And I've always wondered, and I, I didn't ask our, our last couple football guys, like what are some podcasts that say maybe you guys listen to in the offseason or where are you guys going to grow? Are you like watch? Are you breaking down tapes of Oklahoma? Are you breaking down tapes of other other colleges or in your area that you would like to emulate? emulate uh, like i've always been interested where people go in, in the football world um there's so many resources i mean it's it's endless um the, the ones i trust um keith grabowski does an unbelievable one with um you know i've been on it a few times it's uh what is it the coach and coordinator podcast i believe it's called but it's with usa podcast it's really it's taken off um <clears throat> I'm sorry, God. That's not COVID. I swear. Excuse me. Hmm. Um, it's allergies. <laughs> what, what I like most, biggest thing I like is actually going out and seeing a staff. Um, I'm not a big um, clinic guy, convention guy. Um, I go to the convention, but it's usually just to see old friends. I'll be honest with you. Okay, I don't. I don't go see many speakers. Um, no disrespect to the guys that do and everything. I just don't get much out of it personally. Um, I, I like. Going down, setting up something where, hey, hey, let's go up and see Coach Man going up at Brockport. Okay, let's get it set. Let's save some money, and let's go for two days. Fantastic. And we can sit down for them for two days, or they come up here. Um, there's so much sharing, I think, in the, in, the, in the football world especially. I'm sure it's the same in the basketball world, where if, if you want to learn something from someone, they will teach you. You know, you just got to find a way to make it happen. Um, you know, during, during this pandemic, um, you know, we did a lot of, I did a lot of virtual, um, clinics, I guess, with other coaches around the country. Um, but the way I learned more is actually getting out and sitting in a room with a guy, um, sitting in a room, getting on a chalkboard, watching some film. Um, that's, that's what I think the best way to do it. Okay. Personally. So Scott, so I love it too. Cause I, I've actually been to a football clinic and, and listened to you and your staff speak and, uh, really, Really, really good, really good presentations, right? And so as I dabble a little bit in coaching football, but mostly basketball, do you find that there's like trends? Like, cause one of our big things as basketball coaches is we see a lot of drills or, you know, maybe systems that other coaches run and you go back to your team and you just put, you try to run that drill or that system. Um, do you see those trends in football or do you, do you just kind of stick to what you do? Yeah, it's so evident. I mean, you can see it um, on both the really even special teams. I mean, one guy does something that 
works and is new, and next year 20 guys are going to do it, next year 100 guys are going to do it. Um, you know, and you see that a lot. I know the biggest buzzword right now is, and, this, and I don't care, this makes me angry, is the air raid offense. Okay. Um, <laughs> because the guy that created for it, you actually have to pay for and it's like a cult. I don't care. And, I, and I'll tell anyone, I don't care. Sure. Um, if you're going to share knowledge, share knowledge. Right. Don't make somebody pay for it. Right. You know, I, I, I personally don't think that's right. But that's, I know, the biggest buzzword out now. But you see a lot of trends offensively and defensively. When you look at you know our defense right now, which is built for spread offense. Um, it's built to see you know 11 personnel, 10 personnel, three, four receiver sets. Um, teams, teams give us tight ends and fullbacks. We're kind of up against it. I mean, we have to get new guys out there and kind of design new defenses because that's, we don't see that very much. Um, you look at our defense seven years ago, it was built for a pro style offense. It, it, it you know, our defensive ends were 250 pounds and, um, you know, we're good pass rushers, but not great ones, but it was built for a power offense. Um, so you, 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 and again, this is all going to come full circle in five years from now, everyone's going to be in the eye or maybe we'll get the wishbone back or yeah. just please, please not the triple option. I, I can't stand seeing the triple option. I love watching <laughs> it. I hate preparing for it. It's right. <laughs> that changes everything. So I can mean, see that even with like punt formations. I mean, it's so little as that, especially within our conference, the OEC, most of the coaches have been around forever. So one guy does something different on a kickoff, and then you're going to see a whole bunch of teams try it next year and do it next year. But that's coaching, and I think that's – I like that part. I like sharing knowledge. I love hearing new things, and I love sharing new things if we ever have them. Um, usually I'm not smart enough, but, um, you know, I'm sorry. I went out a little That's why we're box, all the greatest thieves. thieves. <laughs> no, no question about it, but that's yeah. why I went on the soapbox about the air raid. That just – Takes me off. Hey, listen, we all have stuff we like and we don't like. That's, I mean, and people are going to share, you know, that's just what they do. And some people are going to, if people are, listen, I always say, if people are going to pay you to do it, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to hold it against that guy. If, if people are going to buy it, I, I just had something come across my desk basketball wise, you know, about the offense that I run. And I was like, yeah, I'm not paying that. I could probably write you know, something similar to what you want me to, to pay. So, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you, man. You're allowed to soapbox. It's a, it's an open discussion. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's, <laughs> that's so good. So I'm sorry about that, buddy. No, you're good. You're good. So coach, coach wants to know a little bit about, you know, youth football, um, because you do some recruiting and you probably see some trends. What, what do you think about youth football? Um, I, I think there's some really good trends coming, and I, I put that chat. I can talk on that because I actually just got off my son's practice. Okay, <laughs> my, my son, my ten year old son, is playing football for the first time for um, this year. Oh, great um, transition! Here we go. It was awesome. Actually, what we've done the past two days, um, I brought my staff down. There's four teams in Tiffin. Um, I brought my staff down, and we spent 45 minutes with every team the past two days. Um, really focusing on just tackling fundamentals and blocking fundamentals, but. Um, I got a chance to get my staff around these young guys, great community service, and I think the kids and parents loved it. But what I'm seeing, and it's actually coming from the NFL, um, it's it's really good. I, I'm loving this padded flag talk. And what I wasn't going to let my son play, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> until about seventh grade. I just, not because of injury, um, because I didn't I didn't trust the coaches. 
the biggest thing that terrified me was um, that old, um, you know, varsity blues youth coach. You know what I mean? Um, where all of a sudden my son's going to hate football, and if he hates football, we have nothing to talk about the rest of our lives. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Silent car ride. <laughs> oh, we're done. We're done. So um, I, I did get to know the coaches in the youth organizations, and I really love them. They're great, great guys, and they coach the right way. But what we're seeing, what, what our what our youth is doing, um, we're going to be the first in the area to do it. So they're actually starting in second grade here, <laughs> which is very young to me. All right. But second, third, and fourth, they're, they're going to be padded, but it's all flag. So you're actually playing football. You're getting a chance to learn football, but there's no tackling, um, which I think, number one, is going to keep the kids a little safer. Um, but number two, it, hopefully it's going to let, you know, mommy let, let their little Johnny play. Sure. Is there an offense and defensive line? Uh, well, yeah, full full eleven on eleven football. Um, but everyone, you know, the the, the skill positions wear flags, so um, there, there's no actual tackling. Okay. Um, and then once they get to fifth and sixth grade, then they start real football. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I, I don't think there's any reason seven and eight year olds should be tackling each other. I really don't. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm starting to to see some positive trends for football. To be honest, I never played youth football. I didn't. I didn't put on a helmet until I was in ninth grade. Um, I, I was a I was a baseball guy till then. But um, football is a sport where you don't need to start that young. You know, I like basketball. I think you you know you, you probably need to start a little earlier to get that shot down and get to you know <laughs> the yeah. skills. But fo- football is a combination of so much that I don't you don't need to start in fourth grade to to be great to be a great football player. Well, and there's so many positions in football too where you don't necessarily need a lot of the skill sets. You need to be strong and be able to move your feet and, you know, get leverage and things like that. I'm in the same boat. You know, Ben, my son is 12 and he's playing flag football for the first time um, because he's his mom was a soccer player, right? So he plays a little soccer and so, but he wants to try football. And I, it's very hard for me to see, like you said, sometimes youth coaches – are just out there to win a game and they're not really developing kids. And that I, it's hard to put my son in, in that type of uh, environment where injuries could happen. So maybe, a, maybe a little bit of an overprotective dad, but I also played football and had concussions. So I'm a little bit biased in that, you know? So we've had a few, I know, but no, I, I, I think flag football getting a lot more popular. That's huge. I think that's, those are the skills the kids need. Kids need to know how to run and catch a football and, um, you know, open field running and tackling and feet work and footwork. And that's more what kids need. You know, um, it doesn't matter what position to play. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Scott- when you're starting out, so Scott, when they're starting out with the flags on um, at such a young age, are they playing on the whole field, or are they cutting the field in half? How are they I doing? I want to say it's a sixty-yard field. Um, I think it's still fifty-three and a third wide, but I think it's a sixty-yard field. Yeah, the reason why I brought that up is because we had a chairman of, of football on, and we were asking him the same question, and he had a lot of great ideas. And the one was to slowly expand the field as they got older to not just throw them on that 100 yard field and let those, you know, third, third graders 
get at it where the fastest guy, you throw a pitch it to him and he just runs around and runs 70 yards for a touchdown. And I thought there was a lot of merit to that. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. You know, but I think with any, any youth sports, it all comes down to the education of the coaching. Um, I think that that is more important than anything else in the world. And it doesn't matter what sport you're coaching, what sport these kids are in. Um, because the number one goal for any youth organization is to get the kids to play in high school. And, and that's yeah. – it shouldn't be about winning games or it should be about developing and making sure the kids still love the sport when they leave you. Um, that, that's, the I think, the mo- absolute most important thing. Um, I coach my son's uh, baseball team, um, and, and I honestly I had a coach coaching with me that – that wasn't his philosophy, and we 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 butted heads a lot. You know, um, keep these kids interested because you never know how they're going to develop. Okay, I was the I was the little fat kid that couldn't really run very fast until I got to about tenth grade. <laughs> Not that I ran fast even then, but it was a lot faster than I was. Right. You know, I think that that's the model that a lot of sports are going to. You know, I see this a little bit in soccer. You know, my my youngest daughter, who's eight, plays on a smaller field, smaller ball, smaller net, less players. And then as they grow, the field expands. They add more players in. You know, Eric and I in the same boat with basketball, we're starting to see, like, more of this European model where you don't shoot necessarily on 10-foot hoops until you're, you know, 12, 13 years old. I think that's just – like, it's one of those things where, you know, if they're younger, you should be shooting – on a smaller hoop playing on a smaller court. Mm -hmm. And we actually experimented with that a little bit in our youth program this year. And the parent, the parents loved it because their kid got to touch the ball more. They actually got to see it go through the hoop and you know, the parents love it. The kids are more engaged. I think that's probably a trend that's here to stay in, in a lot of sports, but so, so, such great ideas. I, I love the fact that you had your staff and some of your players out there. Yeah, helping I love coach. that too. That's such a huge. It was fun. <laughs> such a huge community builder. Um, so Scott, a couple, a couple more things here that we we usually like to do on the pod before we let you go. Um, what what about like a hardship? We always talk on here about beyond the ball and persevering and getting better. You'd mentioned that earlier. Has there any? Is there anything that like sticks out in your mind that you've went through that's made you a better person, made you a better coach? Um, well, number one, getting married to an amazing wife definitely helped. Um, you know, but kind of looking more as a football aspect, my first three years at Heidelberg, we didn't win a game. Okay. My, we were on 30 my first three years. Um, and that professionally, you know, that, that, that kind of kills you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we weren't very good, you know, and it, it, it was bad. So it, that, that, but I wouldn't be the coach I am today or the person I am today without those three years of getting absolutely destroyed. Um, it teaches you a lot of humility, and it teaches you that one losing a football game isn't the end of the world. You know, and I still believe that mm-hmm. it's 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 not. Yes, I give myself twenty four hours, um, and I'll never show that I'm upset in front of my kids because I don't want them growing up thinking that losing is the end of the world. Um, I want to teach that, they, you know, that there is perspective to life. 
Um, but no, those those first three years were uh, were, were pretty rough. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, personally, I think you know it, the biggest things that hit me was uh, a great friend here was the offensive line coach. Um, he passed away mid season um, in a game, or not during a game, but um, passed away mid season on a Saturday night after a game. He had a rare blood clot disorder, um, and that that was because not only that was the first time I really. It sounds bad. That was the first time I really felt like a coach because um, I was still a young guy, but I was dealing with that on my own, but I had to make sure our players could deal with it okay, to, to deal with it better. He was a very beloved coach. I mean, everyone loved this man, um, Jason Bendekovic. So um, that taught me to not compartmentalize, but to be able to share because I was going through it too. You know, I, I was hurting too. Um, but to be able to sit in a room and actually share that with someone else that's going through it, that looks up to you, that that taught me a lot as a coach. Um, and obviously, it was a horrible situation to learn that. But um, you know, everyone's going to have those as they go on through their career. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. We've we've had a lot of responses like that, and I think that it's, it's uh, one of the best parts about this pod is is just seeing. We never know how you're going to react, and just seeing the resiliency. Um, and the coaching that has to go on and the leadership and the influence that has to go on in those situations. So thanks for sharing that. Yes, sir. So we're, we're running up on it here, and uh, we always have these very important questions um, to ask our guests. And the, the first one is, Scott, um, are, are you going with the flats or are you going with the drums? Flats, 100%. Flats. Are you kidding me? Oh. Are, you, are you serious? No, thank God I got my wife out of Tonawanda. I looked it up. Because the meat that touches the bone is the most flavorful. You got two bones on a flat, one bone on a drum. Game over. Oh, my God. That is the most comprehensive reason why we have been given one of these answers. I love it. I don't even I don't even have a response to that. So uh, all right, so here's the next question then. Because they're so much harder to dip, you obviously dip them in ranch then, right? Or is it blue cheese? No chance. No. Now now you guys are getting out to Ohio stuff. No everyone's <laughs> ranch out here. Um I personally don't like blue cheese either, but I don't like either. So um but no, okay. you, you you have to specifically ask for blue cheese with your wings out here. Um, because that all just come with ranch, and that's what my kids grew up on, and I'm embarrassed about it. Um, I'm very <laughs> so, mm, so when you mm. so when you do make it back to I Western New York, uh, so so when you do make it back to Western New York, what do you uh, what place are where are we going? What are some of your favorite spots? I'll be honest. I just came. I was there last weekend. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, my brother had a kid. And I finally got to meet her. But oh, nice. So my first stop is always get wings, and my father-in-law knows that. So, but we got in town about eight o'clock. He had um, Matina's pizza, and no, excuse me, Lenova pizza and wings waiting for me. Oh, nice. Okay. So, but uh, out to, any wings in Buffalo are good, and when you, you don't realize that until you leave the city, because you can't get good chicken wings anywhere else. Yeah. All right, um, and even the wings they call good out here are the worst wings you've ever had in Buffalo. Um, the yeah. next stop is always to either Jim Stakeout or Colosso to get a stinger. Oh, yeah, Colosso's great. That's, that's, that, that's always the second stop. Yeah, Rochelle introduced that to me when we uh, when we got married. Colosso was one of the first things we had to hit. So, 
I still haven't had it earlier than two in the morning, so I, I don't. <laughs> that's <laughs> nice. but. <laughs> that's so, when it hits the spot. Oh man, so good. So Scott, are you? You've been in Ohio for a little bit. Are you still a Bills fan? Or God, yeah, that's that's in my blood. That's in my blood, and that's well, when our season got canceled or postponed, whatever the heck you want to call it. Um, the, the, I'm, I'm an optimist, and I'm thinking, well. This is the first time I've getting a chance to watch the Bills play since 2002. So, um, usually Sunday's my work day, and we're in the office all day. So, um, I actually get to watch the Bills games. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited. We're gonna, we're gonna now. I'm bootlegging the games because I still can't get <laughs> the actual real games, but I'll find a way. Yeah, we'll find a way for sure. So, prediction on the record. What's that? Prediction on the record. Super Bowl. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Put as much as you want on a Super Bowl. Hey, I, I love the commitment. Wow. I love the commitment. The you confidence in this man is contagious. Well, and you know what? This That is so – you might have lived in Ohio for a minute. You know, I have some family down there that converted to be Browns fans. And and I – You've got to respect the Browns. I mean, it's – Cleveland and Buffalo are very similar places, very similar yes. cities. So I, I do respect the, uh, the, the – I guess the plight of the Browns fans. So, um, yeah, but anything other than that, I, I can't do. We only live about – we're about an hour and a half from Detroit. So we okay. get a lot of uh, Michigan and Detroit Lions fans. So um, oh, I can't really – I can't I can't get behind it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I say the same thing because I actually have a I have a former player that plays for the Browns, so they're center. So I I by default they're my second best team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's the Bills all the way, and I think that's a seven one six thing, right? Yeah, yeah. We're all in. We're all in. It's Super Bowl and bust. Super Bowl or bust. There's no doubt. So I love it. <laughs> Well, hey, listen, Coach, we are running up on it. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's been wonderful, Coach. Thank you. No, I appreciate you guys having me. I um, really appreciate it. And uh, anytime I get a chance to talk to some more Buffalo people, trust me, I'm happy. So, um, yeah. hey, good luck this year. Okay, go. Uh, hopefully you guys can get uh, get out of basketball courts at some point here this winter. And uh, good luck. And that really pains me to say, saying to a Cortland guy. So, Oh wow! <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> we 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 didn't even get a chance to get into that. Oh man, I could have went for hours. So I'm sorry. Wonderful stuff. Well, Wonderful we'll, stuff. we'll we'll have to save that for the next one, Coach. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good luck to you and the fan. Tell Kelly we said hello. Yeah, do the same, guys. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Hopefully, you got it. All right, have good a good If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 